And now the conclusion. Battlefield Bound Company 2, Final Fantasy 13, God of War 3, Metro 2033. Wow, that's a lot of games. Yeah, that was actually let's a good one. Let's yeah. start with Bad Company 2. I have 200 hours invested in the game, if you ch- check my Steam list. That's uh, how much time I've spent on the game. I thought about buying it 200 yesterday. hours? <laughs> yeah. In Bad yeah, Company 2? Holy crap, yes. why, why are we not friends? Why have we not played together before in Bad Company 2? Oh, it's, like it's like the only online shooter game I've played all year. Yeah, I'll you know I'll hook you up with the server I play on and the Ventrilo because every night or well morning for us I, I log on to this Penny Arcade server and we play about like five hours of Bad Company Two all in Ventrilo and it's like 32 of us players just going at it. It's a completely different experience than playing on a pub. Yeah, right. Because on, on pub games, you know, you basically you're not even playing as a team. You're just shooting stuff and you know everybody's got like a shared objective and. Yeah. If they happen to win, then okay, you know, there, there'll be like a couple of guys in the chat room whining about why their team sucks and why people are all snipers. Yeah. I never had and, that experience. Well, well, I, that's, I... that's one of the things that I really liked about Bad Company 2 was that it kind of enforced team play to an extent. If Like if you yeah. really want to max out your points, um, then you need to get in a squad and you need to do squad actions and yeah. I actually noticed that uh, when, I, when I was playing the beta that even though I didn't, no one had headsets, or like only one person had a headset. The team, just after, if you keep kept playing, would eventually work together. And at one of the levels, someone got a choke point at a choke point, grabbed a tank, parked the tank sideways in the middle of the choke point, and just blasted. And you had two engineers behind it doing nothing but healing, and three guys trying to shoot it, and it became a barricade. And no one talked to each other. It's just everyone understood how to do it. Yeah. And it just emerged from the way yeah. the game set it up. And that is... And, and in my opinion, actually, Bad Company 2 probably has the best multiplayer this year. My opinion as well. Of a shooter. Of a shooter, I should say. Of a shooter, I, I yeah. Thought you, I thought you played a lot of Black Ops, Ian. How do you think the two oh, compared? Oh, yeah. I do, um, Black Ops is more of an arcade game. There's not much team play. And I'll get into this in a sec. First of all, everybody is... They're just there for points, and the game, the way it sets itself up is that even though it sets itself up for teamwork in a way by giving you points for those, it gives you points for just about everything else. So you can do whatever you like, and you'll get an achievement for it. And it kind of, I mean, it's very casual in the sense that, that no matter how bad you are as a player, you'll always get rewarded for it. But it doesn't really reward good players. It doesn't really reward you for skill because... Sure, you're going to get prestige or something, you know, but it doesn't reward you in the same way that Bad Company 2 does. In Bad Company 2, you have to actually be a good player and you have to actually play as a squad to actually do any, anything. And it, it feels like a real battlefield. And going back to Call of Duty, the reason why it doesn't really play well as a team game is because the way the spawn system works is that there's two sides in a map, right? And if you're your dudes are running in the middle, and you kill all the other dudes on side B. The guys on side B will will have nowhere to respond but behind you. So whenever the, the way it's set up is that when you shoot some guy in the face, like five seconds later, he's respawned behind you and he's going to kill you. So it's it's a real clusterfuck that way. And I don't think Treyarch did a very good job with the whole spawn system. And the maps are so small that 
it, it really just feels like you know you're, you're you're all rats trapped in a maze and you're just going at each other yeah for the cheese and cheese i guess <laughs> <laughs> but each other you are eat the cheese and you kill the cheese Actually, and, another yeah. improvement in my opinion is what you get for the leveling up upgrades because in bad company 2 it's improvements it's um things you can hold over the lesser player lesser players better weapons you can get airstrikes but with a bad company too, it just seems like you get more options because I, I would play, I would level up, I would get new guns, I try them out, and then I realize it's not my playstyle, and I go back to the original gun because to me it had better iron sight aiming. Yeah. And it just seems it's a it's just a way of giving you more op. You get cool stuff to keep people playing, but it's just options and not improvement. Yeah, and then um, Battlefield Vietnam, which came out yesterday, you don't even get upgrades. Everybody's got the same weapons, same equipment, and so. The game is like, it's free from this whole uh, need to unlock stuff. And I think this meta game of unlocking things, it really only appeals to people who are playing the game casually because they feel like you know the game itself is not enough for them to keep playing it. Like if you play Farmville, if it had no achievements, if it had no stuff that you could earn, if everything was available to you right then, it would you wouldn't really want minutes. to play it. It would be five, It'd be five minutes. minutes. Yeah, it's the addictive quality of it. It's like Diablo. I should, in fact, I should re- reference Diablo because Diablo is a boring game. I mean, if you were to play it now, <laughs> I mean... Or Torchlight. Yeah, or Torchlight. I mean, I know people sing praises of Torchlight. Even I do. But the game is it's built in a novelty, and it's the reason why Hellgate London failed so hard. It's not because Hellgate London was like a super bad game. It was unpolished, sure. But it's the core element of, you know, playing this Russian, I um, mean, this roulette game or pulling the slot machine like as gamers you know we've sort of matured past the point where the only rewarding thing about playing a game is pulling that stupid slot machine and getting a reward for it because we've advanced you know (laughs) so okay i I didn't play bad company too you say we there (laughs) and i think we maybe have matured beyond but i think that a lot of people are actually pretty into that or they've just right by the rise of this is the first it's all. also the first uh, experience with it. First experience yeah, with oh, it. Sure. Yeah. They may get beyond it, but... Oh, I'm yeah. sure they will. It's like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, like I said, you know, they play Torchlight, and for them, it's like the first Diablo experience. But for me, personally, I played Diablo over 10 years ago, and the game has lost its novelty. Like, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. We talked about Diablo 3, and we talked about Dragon Age 2, and we said, okay, these two games are huge. You know, we're looking forward to them next year. But... Diablo 3, you know, as cool as as many hours, as hundreds of hours as we spent in Diablo 2 and we want to play Diablo 3, I mean, how often will we play it? I mean, it's got the same mechanics. We might play it for, you know, maybe 50 hours or something, maybe finish the campaign, try to do the classes, but we won't go back to it because it's an experience that we've already felt. And... But there are those that, that will. The hardcore players that will do it for every oh. little thing. But <laughs> there are those. And there are also own. the new players who will come in and be experiencing Diablo 3 as the first Diablo game for them. Maybe they haven't even played Torchlight. Or to them, it's like, wow, Torchlight only better. Kind of like how Diablo 2 with Diablo only better. And it's like that. But I think that Modern Warfare... It's, it's built on the same set of achievements where you play, you do whatever you want, you get the stupid achievement, and it doesn't really cater to skill. And if you're more skilled, skill-inclined, you know, you're, you're going to get kind of bored of playing Modern Warfare 2 or Black Ops because all you're doing is shooting stuff and there's no real sense of achievement because other players are bad or you're not really playing as a team. Whereas when you're playing Bad Company 2, 
you're part of this experience and you know you can be part of a clan or if you want to play an event or even if you're playing alone you, you feel the sense of accomplishment that you just don't get from you know the metagame and i think this comes into a bigger problem where a lot of games these days people don't play the game for the sake of the game itself they play it for the metagame they play it for the achievements and that kind of takes away from the game itself because i mean if a game is built entirely upon achievements like Modern Warfare 2 is, then the multiplayer is really hollow. And you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't much like that. That's a personal preference, I guess. But like Farmville, like I said, it would only last for five minutes if you take all these things away. Any thoughts on the other games from March? Metro 23 is pretty good. Oh. I think that's that's about all I want to say about it, though. Oh, we don't have any of <laughs> the advocates here. We don't have any of the big advocates for it do, here, Well, do no, we? I really liked it, but uh, uh, oh, it's a complicated I guess game. I do. But... It's a, it's a complicated game, yeah. Like, wouldn't you or somebody else on Twitter going on about how Metro 2033 is to some other game and some other game to some other game? <laughs> Does that oh, make any sense? That was, yeah, it was uh, Metro 23 is to Bioshock what? Stalker is to Fallout 3, that right? Was a, yeah, that was a... Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that's that's one way to think of Metro 33 because it's, it's kind of like a unique game. It doesn't really build upon other games usually you've got this archetype you've got say say wolfenstein for example came out last year it's basically doom but with you know a world war ii skin or you've got haze which is half-life 2 with a crappy skin haze i was thought haze was halo but okay haze was halo and half-life 2 i guess yeah yeah so i mean you, you've got all these games that sort of built on each other and metro 2033 was completely different it was it was kind of like Bioshock, but not really. It had, it had this whole post-apocalyptic feel to it, and it did. It had a lot of interesting set pieces, which, unlike Heavy Rain, in my opinion, they actually worked for the game. It's like they, they didn't build these, uh, the game around the set pieces. They just happened to be there. You go from one point to another in different metro stations, and that's what framed the game. I wonder Most if... Games, it, yeah. No, no, finish, finish. Okay, yeah, it, the, the metro stations, the way that, you know, you had to, to, to use the, the metro to ride about the train, it's like every different station had a different thing going on. You had the Nazi station, you had the library, you had uh, this really old satellite complex, and all these things, they, it, it sort of made sense that they'd be different from each other, that the experiences would be different, and the implementation of the supernatural stuff also helps because it built into the lore of the world. You know, if, if something was, like, strange and out of place, it wasn't something that you questioned. It wasn't like, okay, why did the character do this or why did this happen? It's just how it is. It's how the world in Metro 2033 is supposed to work. And yeah. As Metro 2033, I wonder if we, we think this is something fresh and new. It's because it comes from outside the Western Japanese developer. It's a Russian game, isn't it? It's a Russian game, yeah. Yeah, so it's just a different design ethos or a worldview that just, it's outside our, norm, our normal perceptions, and that's why we, we see it's something different, something fresh. Well, and I forget where it was exactly, but somebody made the argument that it does adapt a very Russian mindset in terms of in order for your flashlight, or your flashlight on your helmet to work very well, you have to constantly pump the generator. Um, that, was in the, that was in the Slate Gaming Club. That yeah, was, I, think it was, I think it was Chris Solentrope and Tom Bissell. Yeah. Mm, this will love that game. He, he I think he said that was his favorite memory. game this year. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay then. April. <laughs> Splinter Cell Conviction, Near, and Monster Hunter Try. Oh yeah. You know, Splinter Cell Conviction was an interesting game. That game, talking about the best multiplayer game of the year, that game had some pretty incredible multiplayer in it. Yeah, I, I come back to that game sometimes still. I didn't love it. 
but I also wrote uh, one of the best up, posts I, about it. I reread them <laughs> yesterday. Fisher. Thanks, yeah. That was a that was a labor of love. I mean, I wound up I kind of wound up loving the game after writing that. I chronicling every single time they said Fisher. Man, I mean, that was definitely a case study in the worst enemy bark writing I've ever seen in a game, hands down. I mean, to the point where five minutes into the demo, when I played the demo, I was just like, what are these guys on? Who do they think this appeals to? Like, who wants to hear this crap? The most just jocked out, roided up, ridiculous. Well, we were talking crap. about camp earlier. Maybe this is the this is the camp of uh, yeah, enemy You know barks. what? People have made that argument to me before, and I don't buy it. BS. No way. It's just... It's written by people who think they think there's someone out there who think that that's they think that it's awesome because you guys have played a Clancy game before. They're all that way. I mean, yes. not that. Yeah, they're all that way. But I they're tried, all that. Way. I tried to play the original Splinter Cell. I couldn't. I just yeah, you know, and I've been well. It's funny, you know, I've been playing Chaos Theory, and that's a great game, partly because of the Hawking factor, and partly just I mean, it's it's just a much more subtle game than than Conviction is. You know, you move much slower, and but there's still that sort of who is this Superman who's defeating us? You know, this vibe. <laughs> that seems like, to God, happen. Yeah. That seems to happen. And once you get past three entries, like Die Hard, it's like if you rewatch the first one in light of the fourth one, he's oh, yeah. really low down. In the fourth one, he's a Superman, and it seems like games follow the same thing. It's like okay, it's reasonable in one. It's it's still reasonable in two. Three, it gets slightly out there, and by the fourth one, it's like Fisher. Well, it's funny, the writing is out there, but honestly, like, the, the mechanics of the game are pretty cool. I mean, it. I'm a big fan of uh, of Maxime Belland, the designer of that game. He is the same guy who designed uh, Rainbow Six Vegas, which, did any of you guys play that game? I played that game. Yeah, okay, so that game has the best cover system I've ever seen in a game, personally speaking. Like, the most... I love the cover system. It's this toggleable left-trigger cover system. It leaves... There's this mechanical difficulty, right, where... If you're playing a game with iron sights, you can't map the left trigger to anything but the iron sights. So that you mapping the left trigger to the cover system, suddenly you need to put the iron sights onto the right thumbstick, and then you're stuck in the situation where the right thumbstick just doesn't work as well. So it's tricky. You need a game where you're fundamentally accurate enough that you don't need to use iron sights, which works for these kind of tactical combat games. And yeah, you shoot from the hip. Right. And then what was pretty cool was that Splinter Cell, you know, you can't have a dude who's that accurate. You can't be as accurate as in Rainbow Six because you're not this tactical badass who's able to take down rooms of guys. It's about stealth. What worked about Conviction was they came up with this ingenious mechanic where you tag guys and you take them down by sneaking up. And, uh, you know, that uh, whatever it was called, the, the room clearing, you know, auto kill button. But you and couldn't really, I mean, drag was, their, you couldn't drag the corpses, right? I mean, they. Oh yeah, no, that. right, right. It was totally, and you and you killed everyone too. Like there was no way that you could beat, you know, you could beat Chaos Theory without killing a single person. Yeah, um, just you know, conviction, the body count is through the roof. But really, I mean, I, you know, not honestly, like the writing story is so stupid that this is a game where I actually, I don't look at that game from the story standpoint. I reviewed it from that standpoint, but I didn't actually. I don't really analyze the game from the story and that. I more look at the mechanics, and it kind of reinforces that Ubisoft is a company for me. Um, they're a studio, Ubisoft Montreal specifically. They really do some cool stuff mechanically. I thought that game had some neat stuff going on, and then was borne out even more so in the in the multiplayer, which was r- brilliant. I mean, it was the so my second favorite co-op to Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. What did you think of the uh, torture scene? I think that made the rounds in the critical blogs. Well, oh, I wrote about them. I wrote a whole post about that. I thought it was the, one of the worst things I saw this year. I mean, it was it it left it made me want to puke my pants. Wait, it makes you miserable. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, it was I, it was terrible. It was like right wing bullshit. It felt like a terrible episode of 24. 
the fact that I was playing co-op with Dan, who writes for Melodica with me, and we were, like, taking turns bashing this guy's face into, like, a cop machine. <laughs> and it was just like, this isn't why I'm playing this game. Like, I have no interest in this crap. But the way I wrote about it is I said it was like you were knocking candy out of the world's most ghastly vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> you just press B to torture. And then the guy's like, after three times, he's like, okay, I'll tell you what you need to know. I'm like, that is a wonderful no metaphor. That is a really wonderful <laughs> no metaphor. Nuance. <laughs> Nothing at all. Just no nuance to it at all. Just like press the B three times to watch something horrible and keep playing the game. That's actually very fun. I thought it was offensive that they put it in. That they thought I wanted that. Come on, who wants that? Uh, I can th- I can think of several senators who would. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> like great. Yeah, I guess the fact that there are people who just want make that is just ma- just turn the guy torturing into Julian Assange. Then they'll be totally fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man, come on. Put Mark Zuckerberg's face on it. Everyone apparently will be happy. <laughs> I, know I could pick up have... Mark Zuckerberg. I could uh, take him. Do we have Do we have any uh, near supporters in this confab? Uh, I haven't played it, but you want to talk about it first? Go for it. I'm very aware of the fact that we're keeping Dennis up. It's after, like, one in the morning or something. So... Uh, oh, I don't, don't worry oh. about that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think um, I didn't play near. Um, I know uh, Brad Galloway really liked it. I know there. Um, Andy, I know there was a. Andy it, who wrote for us liked it. I know yeah. a lot of people made a, a big. It became a critical darling of JRPG this year. That's why. It has okay because a friend of mine, Chris, he has been walking me through the game even though I haven't played it, and like he, he wants me to play it regardless of the fact that he spoiled it for me. Sorry. <laughs> it's like. It, it's split into so many different sections. It takes, you know, it's got a text RPG in it. It's got parts where it plays like a shooter and part, parts where it plays like God of War. And I don't think it does all these things perfectly well. But together as an ensemble of different schemas and gameplay, gameplay mechanics, it kind of works as a game. And that's what's interesting about it. It's that it takes all the different diverse parts of games and it puts it into the single thing and says that, hey, you know, you don't have to be different genres. You can actually, this can actually work as a game. And I guess it works as a JRPG. It wouldn't work as a Western RPG because Western RPGs are not built on, you know, the idea of just playing the character. You have to actually make decisions. You've got to make choices, etc. But in a JRPG, which is... I guess it wouldn't even be fair to call it an RPG. It's more of an adventure game, an action-adventure game, which most, most of them are. It kind of works there because it doesn't hurt the, you know, there's no stats in it, so it doesn't hurt that aesthetic. You know? It just kind of works by itself. All right. Moving on to May. Alan Wake, Red Dead Redemption, Super Mario Galaxy 2. Oh, no, we're going to be here all night. I <laughs> mean, all morning, Ben. All and, I mean, I, I don't know how much we need to say about Red Dead Redemption, right. to be quite honest. I mean, it, it is a game that people have written so much about. I've written so much about I'm it. I'm still waiting for the other three. I don't know who it is, but someone said, I'm just doing a four-part thing to explore its Western things. I'm still waiting for yeah, the other three. I mean, it was an incredible yeah. achievement in and Interactive. I I want to go I'm play. I'm sure it'll get, a, it'll get a critical compilation. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, but it had a lot of Alan Wake. You know, Alan Wake raised an interesting question that I'll throw to you guys. The idea of collectibles, right? Yeah. I think there was a lot of cool discussion about... Get rid of the thermoses. Just get rid of that crappy thermoses. And I've I've read a lot of people really eloquently condemn those thermoses. And I, you know, I really agree. And while I was playing it, I remember I played that game early. And so I had, I was in a vacuum. And I was just playing it and trying to, you know, just parse the experience. 
And then I kept getting these thermoses because I couldn't stop myself. And someone, was, <laughs> someone in the Slay Gaming Club, I, it might have been Solon Trail, yeah. someone was saying, somebody stop me. Like, it's ruining my gaming experience and I can't stop doing it. Like, and it's, mm. I thought that was really funny. Like, that uh, we're so used to that. Like, to, what are they called? Someone who, they, they have a name. They're called like. Hoarders? Uh, oh, no, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Game Hoarders. I mean, the objects, the collectibles. It's like, oh. it has an acronym. I have no idea, then. Oh, oh yeah, wow. it's a it's a funny acronym. Dang it! It was uh, Justin Gavern was talking about it. Anyway, he knows what it was. It's a <laughs> reference to some game. Anyway, um, that that idea I thought was really funny that you can ruin a game that had a great atmosphere and like an interesting enough story just by doing this thing that we can't help but ruin the game yeah. first. Assassin's Creed Two suffers from the same problem. I mean, I'm yeah, a lot it, but, of open world but, games do. But the thing is, the feather, the feathers in Assassin's Creed, and I was gonna say the uh, energy orbs in Infamous, they actually do have some purpose. Like the pages mm-hmm. in Alan Wake, they have a, some purpose. That was a good collectible. Yeah, so, oh yeah. sure. The thermoses are literally achievement only. Oh. Yeah, no, they're they're yeah they're and well, and the achievement was cute. At least it was that funny Twin Peaks reference. So there's that. <laughs> I don't think that's anyone play anyone play the new Super Mario one. No. No, we gamers. Mm-mm. No. I'm yeah, gonna talk no, about Alan Wake. So I haven't played it, but a friend, another friend, is actually talking through the whole thing. Okay. So what I want to say is that the early part of the game is like an obvious homage to not even an homage. It's like it goes beyond that. It's like fanboyism to it's like a shrine to Stephen King and it sort of hurts the first three chapters of the game because I mean if you've read any of Stephen King's novels if you've read Chuck P and you know all these authors if you've read them if you're a well-read person and you play the game it's like wow this game's kind of stupid it's like it, it just throws them in your face you know it's throwing all these references and it's like yeah I get it you know you're this is a Stephen King reference but I guess people who haven't read the story, they think, oh, wow, this is really cool. You know, this is, this is some, something new here. This game is really creative, et cetera. But that, that's Alan Wake's problem is that it only comes into its own, like, in, like the second half of the game when it stops make, being, making all these references. It's kind of like Max Payne and Max Payne 2. In the first Max Payne, it was like, okay, it's obvious detective noir story. It's got all these references to... Uh, Maltese Falcon and so on and gets kind of boring because you know if you watch the movies they're like okay uh, I get it the writer Sam Lake he, uh, he's well read he's watched a lot of movies and he's putting his references in there because he loved the whole thing and Alan Wake is the same way and I, I think Alan Wake 2 once and if it comes out it's going to be a better game than the first one because they won't be putting all these obvious references it's like Alan Wake has become a thing unto itself of course, so the better it, Twin Peaks game that came out this year was Deadly Premonition. Oh, yeah. right. Which, yeah, I didn't have a chance to play. But I really want to play that game. I wanted to come out. Once a Sinner Sandwich. sandwich. The, uh, <laughs> there's definitely a thing in Alan Wake. Well, so the first two words of Alan Wake are Stephen King, right? So, like, yeah. it, it's pretty clear about its influence. I had, the, I had a funny thought about Alan Wake. First thought is that, actually, I think that it's, yeah, it's like almost the plot of the dark half, that Stephen King yeah. book. Like, it's, it's like the same story. But really, it felt to me, when I was a kid, I read a lot of Dean Koontz books. And I thought that Alan Wake felt like a Dean Koontz book more than a Stephen King book. Stephen King is, like, pretty fucked up. Like, stuff happens in Stephen King that's, like, intense. Real blood and guts and messed up, dark, weird, sort of subconscious violence and stuff that really gets to you. Where Alan Wake didn't have any of that. It was just guys with axes in the woods. Like, it never really got to that, like, deep, dark place that Stephen King gets where King is so good, I think, at, and I like Stephen King. I think he's really good at taking that moment where a normal person encounters the impossible and their mind kind of breaks. Like what would happen if you came across it? 
and it was this impossible thing, you know? And, like, that's yeah. really scary. And, like, Alan Wake is much more like a Dean Koontz book, where it's like, well, there's a guy, and, like, his dog is psychic, and there's a monster, and that's it. <laughs> you know, and, like, and it's, like, kind of like, there's a guy, and, like, he's in, he loses his wife, and then there's the darkness. And, and he's a and writer. But, you know, they yeah. never really came together with the sort of the surreal stuff. They didn't really deliver that because Alan Wake is a game that wasn't complete upon release. The downloadable episodes for that game were substantially different in terms of gameplay and narrative than the actual game. And they made it a much more cohesive thing, but it was also really confused. I mean, you're going through this dreamscape. Did you guys, didn't you guys get to play those downloadable no, episodes? No, not yet. No, they but were, I, I, know, I know what they are, yeah. Yeah, you know, they were, they were problematic in a lot of ways. They were annoying and Alan Wake, Alan was just such a, such a turd of a character kind of by the end like just this, this like this guy he just was a complainer and he didn't like anybody and and then when he's in his own head it's even worse because his like nightmares suck and he doesn't even like himself so the whole thing is so you know by the by the end it's really like just it's not a very fun experience but it was like it was an interesting place to go with it you know they they repurposed all their assets really interestingly i thought like you've suddenly got these crazy forests of power lines cropping up and it was cool i mean that but it, it it was interesting. I mean, it, it kind of spoke to this model that publishers kind of have a real interest in where they can release the game and then they can continue to release the game afterwards and make it a more complete thing until it's complete. And then it got John Teddy wrote really eloquently about this at Eurogamer about how do you judge a product? Like, when is the product finished and how do you judge it? Do you yep. judge Alan Wake the game? Do you judge Alan Wake the collector's edition that's going to come out? Or the downloadable version that has, I mean... I it, think it you have to judge those like as edition. Yeah, yeah, that was what it, what it did for me. I, 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 think, I actually, I didn't hate it. Um, I liked yeah. it fine, but it was it was think, a little bit of yeah. a trip. Yeah. All right. I, th I think that, um, okay, yeah, the, the thing that you said about Alan Wake, the DLC, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, The Witcher, when it first came out, was an unfinished game. There was like a whole huge quest line that was like unfinished with uh, regarding death like the grim reaper in the game like if you experience it the first time when you played it on patch it's like what the fuck is this guy who who is he what's going on he had no idea what the hell was going on but then they released the enhanced edition and it all makes sense because they added like a whole bunch of new cutscenes, uh like ten thousand lines of new dialogue and suddenly it was like oh well it's a cohesive game and it's the same way with assassin's creed 2 you know if you play it it's got like what 10 chapters or something and it isn't really finished because it's like okay what what happens now but then you get a dlc and suddenly oh okay it makes sense now you Which, know, you you know and that's moves. that's a really interesting question because there's this fine line right you look at these games and you get the sense with both assassin's creed 2 and alan wake to a slightly lesser extent maybe that the dlc was unfinished at the time of release and so they just were like well we're going to cut that out and we'll release it as dlc where I look at the the DLC for like Mass Effect 2, where you get Lair of the Shadow Broker and Overlord, those weren't going to be in the original game, but they hugely improved the game. I thought those I was, were two of the best DLCs I've ever I, seen. I think like uh, Fallout, the Fallout 3 DLC, Fallout 3 DLCs, um, Broken Steel and uh, Point Lookout is the only two I can remember, but... Those, well, also, were the, those were the best too. Yeah, those. Yeah, thank you. But it was uh, it's because it it was already in a huge world where it could have been in there, but it adds so much more. But these are story based games where it seems to be adding into the main storyline, and I'm right. And it just seems like because of digital distribution and patches, and it also works with patches that developers think they can release an unfinished game and it won't matter yeah and you know in fairness to assassin's creed 2 it didn't i mean that game felt complete to me when i played it 
and really, I didn't play the DLC, but it looked like it didn't really add much. I mean, it was just some extra. Oh, it's luck. actually the best part of the game. Oh, you really? Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you should grab it. I mean, if you play Assassin's Creed 2 and you want to play Brotherhood, play this first. I mean, it actually sets up Brotherhood. All right. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm almost done with Brotherhood, but the um, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, we we yeah. got to move on to the next month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Alpha Protocol, Metal Gear Solid, Pierce Walker, uh, Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands, and All Points Bulletin. Uh, okay. I really like Alpha Protocol. Go on, then. Oh, go for it. From what I've heard, the combat system is flawed. However, I played it as a stealth game, in which case it worked rather well. But what I really enjoyed about it was the conversation system, because the conversation system kept you guessing. You couldn't, You basically had four options of how to normally deal with a situation. You had to alter them based upon the character, because different characters react differently to different tactics, and that would feed into how it affects your game. So if you want support from one character, you have to get them to like you, which helps you by opening up dossiers, which helps you further by being able to do, it gives you small in-game rewards for it. So I think there were a lot of little kernels to Alpha Protocol that worked. However, I think because it was an Obsidian game, it probably, from what I read, it had a buggy release, so it nipped itself in the bud. Main thing I remember from Alpha Protocol was, uh, I think it was David Carlton who gave who on game. No, it wasn't David Carlton. Someone on Game Critics gave it a, a zero out of ten. Ooh. Because it it just it wasn't. It, I think it was Sparky Clarkson. Sparky Clarkson. Yeah, he gave it a zero out yeah. of ten because of it wasn't just the design that was flawed. It was that it was it was hollow. It went against itself, and it wasn't a pleasure to play for him. And that's really all I remem- remember about you, that game. You know, his his review of of the game. Some people would say, okay, it's harsh because it belittles the uh, you know the parts that they did well, such as the dialogue. You know, the dialogue was really good, but. I would say, if you were to ask me right now, and I'm being critical, I would say that, you know, Vampire Bloodlines, which, which everybody loves because of the dialogue, I would say they are like a similar similar breed of games because Vampire Bloodlines, it didn't really work as an FPS. It was a really bad game as an FPS. It, was it, it the same company? Uh, no. no. Uh, Troika made the other one. But they, they sort of work, I mean, they, they're part, they're, they're originally both part of Black Elf Studios. So they <laughs> kind of come from the same place. Yeah, so... The problem with Bloodlines was that it, the game worked against itself. It had all these cool features that had the RPG features where you could, depending on the dialogue, it would switch the, you know, the, there, there are different endings to the game and all the actions that you did sort of added up to it. And it had all these cool elements that made it a, a decent RPG, but as a game as a whole, the, the combat really worked against it because the combat was so skill-based and it didn't really mesh with, um, with the rest of the game. And like the, the, third har- the third part of the game, like the third quarter to the, you know, the, the last part, was all combat. It's like they, they stopped worrying about the dialogue so much and it all became about the combat. So it's sort of similar with Alpha Protocol where the game is so reliant on the combat that it falls apart as a result. It doesn't matter how good the dialogue is or how good all the other parts are. You can enjoy them individually, but as a whole, the game is a failure because it yeah. doesn't play very well. I think and from uh, what I've said, there's only one route you can take to make the game playable in terms of combat, which would be the one I chose, Stealth, which gives you an option of slowing the game down, essentially, so you can play it and is not a skill-based. It's all about headshots, right? I mean, you, you, if you use right. a pistol, you use a skill, yeah, and it kills it everything. Yeah, it gives you a, where time slows down, you can take your time to put off certain shots. Yeah, and if you play as a melee character, you'll basically get owned by the uh, the boss that, and where the music plays. 
because he does like a killer damage attack, and if you, you know, if you can shoot him in the head, it's, it's actually an easy fight. So the game is really imbalanced in that sense. Any of the other games from June? If I actually, if I could just say on the Forgotten Sands. Forgotten Sands to me was a real retread of Sands of Time, not just basic mechanics, but theme, story, and the first level was almost was almost a cut and paste copy of the first level to Sands of Time. You know, actually, I I played that game. Uh, I reviewed that game. That uh, that was an interesting game. I really liked that game. I, I, I did that too. It, it just it felt mechanically really good. I thought that it, I don't know, I did, actually didn't think that it was such a retread of the Sands of Time because I thought it felt better to play. It had, it had the best combat of any Prince of Persia so far. Yeah, and it, I mean, the combat still wasn't great, but even the platforming felt better to me. Like, it, there was a little more weight. The physics engine, I think, was stronger. And it really, I thought that what it did really well, and Sands of Time does this too, but I thought that the Forgotten Sands layered its... It layered mechanics really well, and it had a lot of them. Like by the end, I would be man. There are some some of those final levels where you would be. It was it was up it the was wall and then freezing water and grabbing un- and unfreezing and then warping and then jumping. I mean, it was cool. Like it was really rhythmic. And it was really almost it was almost DDR for a platformer. Yeah, it had a rhythmic concept to it. I, I remember writing about it like it was a drum solo. Like it has this like this groove to it that you get into that's super cool. And then there's this cool thing in the finale of that game where you're. You're doing the same platforming, but it's framed against this crazy sandstorm that you're flying through. And you have to. And you to, kind of just keep going. You just have to keep your momentum and just trust that it, something's it does, going to turn it, up and. Yeah, it does look like a lot of leaps of faith, though. But but it's all it's all good. Like you're always yeah. fine. I, I I really I actually really like that game. Um, a lot I more than I liked I, it too. I just I didn't real. I don't know why it had to happen other than a cash cow. It, it well, you did, know, it didn't have the thing that made Sands of Time so brilliant. It didn't have romance and, you know not even romance that. matters it's, like it, no, i don't the, know the themes of like of undoing your mistakes or trying to fix your mistakes the prince learned that in sands of time he did grow as a person and this and they don't they don't retcon it but this time it's his brother doing the problem and to me it's just right it's the beat by beat it's just so similar and i can understand trying to copy it and i do appreciate it because i did actually have fun with it but yeah, well, they didn't really. They didn't go for the larger sort of theme of, you know, using time travel to tell to like undo your mistake. I mean, it was really more just and some bad end. stuff happened, and then he and then the real it. end when it becomes a slideshow. It was yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, well, and it was also kind of rushed out the door, which it was. It played surprisingly well, that considering it was a movie or a game that had to line up with a movie. But eh. um, I liked it more than I thought I would. It was a C game to me. Maybe C. Yeah, <laughs> maybe B minus. But still, that was. <laughs> It was a B-minus game that, that was pretty fun to play. <laughs> July, Crackdown. Oh, we didn't talk about APB yet. Oh, that you wanted to? Thing. Yeah. Mostly because of its collapse. Yeah, I want to talk about the collapse. I mean, this game had so much hype leading up to it. It had this whole idea. You want to play GTA Online, Cops vs. Robbers. And... I, saw, I saw it at PAX East, but the thing is, and they were re- and there was the one guy yelling over everyone, try- really hyping it up. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking... I just couldn't see. I could tell this wasn't going to be good. You could just tell by looking at it and the way it was playing. It's like there's nothing special here. Yeah, it, it was kind of like if you take Battlefield and you take out all the uh, you know shooting aspects, the, the all the parts that make Battlefield great, and you just left the players and you said, hey, let's give it a combat system that's like GTA and put a driving system that's even worse than GTA's. GTA's driving system is not very good. I mean, it's okay, it's passable. But anyway, it's like having you know a lot of players 
drive the game, the idea that you need a lot of players for the game to be good, kind of works in some as I mean, you know, in, in some aspects, but it, it, it's too dependent on it. And the fact that not enough people played the game, not enough people played APB, kind of made it, uh, you know, a really barren game to play with. Well, it was also they chose a really poor subscription model on how to pay for it. I think oh, yeah. the most interesting point is from the publisher. The most interesting thing about APB was the story that came out from the publisher's angle. There was a huge article that went step by step explaining every <laughs> single fault of, yeah. of every trip up and say this would have been a great game six years ago when it was first conceived, but now it's it was a waste of money. Yeah, a lot of games like I mean, even Diablo three goes into that as well. Diablo three is a great game. I mean, the idea of it, playing it, but it was conceived a decade ago, and you don't really know how well it's going to hold up today with today's stuff. I mean, I'm sure it'd be fun, but it's a Blizzard game after all. Will it be as good as Diablo two was back in the day when there was no competition, there was no Titan Quest, and there's no millions of clones to compete with or to measure it against? I mean, if if you play Diablo 3 now and you say, well, you know, it's only slightly better than Titan Quest, but it has Diablo 2's cooperative mode. It's like, so what, you know? APB suffers from the same thing. It's got so much to compare itself to. It's got Crackdown, it's got GTA, it's got Red Dead Redemption, etc. And how do you compare it, you know? Speaking of Crackdown, July, Crackdown 2, Death Spank, Limbo, StarCraft 2. You know, I think that the, uh, the crackdown too. I thought that Chris Dallin's post about building a world was right on. I didn't have anything to add beyond that. It was an empty world with nothing. I mean, it just, I yeah. utterly yeah. that game was just a zero for me. I played it for like five minutes and it was just like no. I couldn't even understand why everyone was excited about it in the first place. Uh, well, crackdown, I think, kind of got that cult thing going for it. Uh, I preferred Infamous. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Crack Tom Schick wrote a really good review of uh, Crackdown 2. I mean, he said that like the game is a whole bunch of cool ideas, but none of them actually they're not well executed. You know, that's that's its biggest problem. It's like it takes all the cool stuff from Crackdown and says, hey, let's make it slightly better, but let's also try to be prototype. Let's also try to be Grand Theft Auto, and all of that done together doesn't really add up. And the whole idea of splitting the world between night and day. You know, at night the zombies come out, so it's like a it's like a Dead Rising sort of game. The fact night. that there are zombies, that they needed to put zombies in there. Yeah. And during the day, well, it's military. So it's like, it doesn't, it's clashing with itself, really. I'm going to say something. Um, well, I mean, okay, so Death Spank, I don't know. I mean, enough Crackdown 2, whatever. <laughs> Death Spank was a, well, was a, was a great game. You know, a lot of people, it was funny. That was a game that I was really, I just loved that game, man. When I, when I downloaded it, I thought it was so, it was so good because I just appreciated the effort. I mean, yeah. there was more comedy in every second of that game. There wasn't a thing in it that wasn't a joke. It was so deep. You know, it's it's actually like Arrested Development, which is a bold statement. Yeah. But you watch Arrested Development, and when, especially on rewatch, you see what Mitch Hurwitz is doing with this show, where every second of that show, there's probably three jokes going on. And that's why it's so rewarding to rewatch. You know, there's so much going on. Where in Death Spank, it felt similar for me. I love Ron Gilbert's style of humor. I love Monkey Island. I think that wordplay stuff, that like ironic kind of lampooning of the hero is really funny. So if that's yeah. not your thing, you're probably going to hate Death Spank. But I like it. And man, I mean, just go through the inventory in that game sometime and like <laughs> read the descriptions of like the 6,000 things in the game and every single one has a joke. For me, like for the effort alone and for the fact that it cracked me up, I love it. It feels, it feels like a handcrafted game. It's like they put a lot of love into it, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. With you know, with games like Torchlight, as fun as they are, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It lacks that feeling of you know handcraftedness. It's like more like oh, this is random generated, you know, and definitely. But uh, well, and Borderlands felt that way to me too, where you're like, okay, this is cool. This is a cool weapon, but it's not like you know in in Death Spank, there aren't as many cool weapons, but each one is was written yeah. by somebody like, and you get this little joke they put in there for you. It I, wasn't I, just it wasn't just a list of stats. It was right. an actual thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same way. Death Spank's means it didn't outlasts welcome right and i actually you know and to be fair like i i feel bad saying this but i thought the sequel did um i you know i didn't finish it i played it some i downloaded it and it was fun it was more death bank it was more humor but i was it's because it came right on top of the original maybe which because it it wasn't even a sequel you know really it it would have been a full game which makes me think actually it's like i don't know i look at a lot of at writing and writing music and, and my own writing process and the stuff I cut, I just leave it cut because how many how many artists release a B-side album where the B-sides just aren't, you know, you kind of wish they just left it at that. I, I mean, as much as those jokes in Thongs of Virtue are great and it would have been a good game on its own, it, was, it wasn't even that it was too soon. If it had come out two years after Death Spank, we'd have, yeah, I mean, we probably would have been softer on it. It would have felt a little better, but it was still just, it didn't need to, to really come out. And I, I still liked it, but yeah, it did feel like too soon. Yeah. I think we've talked about Limbo earlier enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Limbo was awesome. I, yeah, I Any, love anyone here a StarCraft player? Oh uh, no, no. Okay, August. I, I did play it though. I did. I did <laughs> yeah. play it though. You played one third of a game. Yeah, yeah I think we I can add, But yeah, I mean, if you guys want to go for StarCraft, go for it. <laughs> I'm quite no. willing to go to August. <laughs> I'll talk I'll just a little bit about StarCraft 2. StarCraft 2 suffers from the same problem as Diablo 3 will. It's that it was conceived 10 years ago. And it's a good game. You I'm going to really want to read your Diablo 3 review when it comes out. Oh, yeah. Probably going to rip it to shreds, but in a good way. <laughs> Probably a series of reviews because I played Diablo 2 so much. Diablo, sorry, StarCraft 2, it builds on this whole idea of StarCraft. StarCraft is like the greatest RTS of all time. And StarCraft 2 is really more of the same. You know, if you love StarCraft, then you'll love StarCraft 2. There's no question about it. But if you played, I mean, if you're just like a casual player of StarCraft and you've played tons of different games since then, you've played a World in Conflict, which did RTS completely differently from any other RTS. You, you control the squad, you, it had this whole tactical thing, it felt like a real war, campaign felt like a real war. With StarCraft 2, it's got this dissonance between, you know, the story and the gameplay, and it's just more StarCraft. That's, that's basically it. And it doesn't really, parts of it don't really hold up to, to me personally, in that sense, because... I was never a huge StarCraft fan in the first place, and it's just more of the same. It doesn't really try to innovate or anything. Campaign's nice, better done than the first one. It's got all the RPG elements, but all the same, you know, it's just building upon this whole premise, which I think is kind of flawed compared to other stuff. It'd be, it's kind of like the Medal of Honor, which was released this year. Of, uh, it's like the Medal of Honor to Call of Duty. I mean, it's, it's slightly better, but it's still more of the same, and... It doesn't really stand out for itself. And that's the reason why you don't really see anybody talking about StarCraft 2. I mean, from a critical standpoint, and what's They're also all playing it. They're also all still playing it. <laughs> Those that would talk about it. All right. <laughs> August. Kane and Lynch 2, Mafia 2, Metroid Other M. Man, Mafia 2. That game bummed me out really hard. Um, I, wanted to like, I wanted to like it a lot. I, 
you know, I met a lot of the guys who worked on it. You know, it was, I couldn't figure out what went wrong with it. You know, I, I totally, I thought it was just such an uninteresting slog when I played it. And I could tell there was a lot of, a lot of thought put into it, but I wasn't, I just, it, I felt a little bit like the energy that went into the game went from came from it went in the wrong direction like they understood what kind of a game they wanted to make but they didn't understand what made a mafia story so good it was partly i think thing you can say about metroid other end i actually oh, interesting the um yeah i mean i think that that's probably true i didn't get to play the other end but i got the, that's interesting i got the yeah. same sense from that game yeah dennis, dennis you, you you always have interesting things about say especially on other end I, I mean what i can say about metroid other end is they try to implement a full narrative in a series that really didn't have one, which meant they characterized a character who everybody had created their own image of. So it fell flat on that end, I think, for many people. And beyond that, the Metroidvania system for which Metroid is famous wasn't really implemented. They went through a linear progression system, and the game didn't open up until after you beat the game, which, I mean... For some games, it works. For Metroid, it doesn't. And how about the characterization? I mean, the characterization is that Samus is this very insecure character, which, I don't know. She's a character that I believe would be interesting to explore as a flawed character. However, they made the way they wrote the story. It just kept falling apart as making her seem less powerful than she ever had been. It's also in the game mechanics too, isn't it? I mean, they, they basically restrict all of her powers, all of her abilities in a really trite fashion. She has to listen to Adam and Adam's like, okay, now you can activate this part of your suit. Which never made sense to me because if they had at least given like a justification, like that'll cause an electric thing that'll blow up. Some, for some of the upgrades, it made sense. For instance, he doesn't want her to use her uh, thermonuclear blast or her ultra bomb blast just because it could damage parts of the ship or damage people but what about like the fire suit that was the fire suit no sense uh it's one of those ideas it's one of those things where i think it could have been a good idea had they implemented it intelligently however they they implemented it failed so it started falling apart in some upgrades it it sort of carried into the the failure of the character as well doesn't it and it made her seem weaker than she actually was, literally. It would make sense if she was restricting her weapon use, and Adam was slowly authorizing that based on knowledge of it, but they never explain it that way. And once you get to the fire suit, it's just like she's just taking orders wholesale from somebody, and that's not the Samus, you know? She's supposed to be like a mercenary. She is not in any army, and here she is following orders from some dude because she respects him. It, it, it would have to be like uh, Jack Bauer in 24, suddenly following orders from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's even, I, and I haven't, I'm not, I haven't played Other M, but it seems like an even more fundamentally deep problem than that, because part of what made Samus so cool was her unknowability. I mean, that reveal in the first Metroid, the fact that she was a woman, was such a cool thing that people talk about, you know. And the reason that it was a reveal was because we didn't know anything about her at all, literally for the entire game. And that's what made it so neat. So the fact that they've turned it around and made her into this whole character seems like a total, like they're going against everything that they did right to begin with. Also, the Metroid series was about loneliness, and it, and you could you could have done a story about introspection that came out of the Metroid Prime series, but it's, I think, putting other people there is the fundamental problem for a series that is about lon- loneliness and exploration. Well, I mean, they already started putting characters into Metroid Prime 3, which I felt still worked mostly. 
But were they an uh, omniant presence? Samus, just because Samus was mostly still by herself. Mm-hmm. Where I think it falls apart in this one is Samus is interacting with them more, and the way she was characterized just wasn't to people's taste, at least nobody with whom I've spoken. It becomes like a Mega Man game. And we got, I mean, one, and we got one of those already this year. Yeah, we- Exactly. I mean, we, we already have Mega Man, so, I mean, why are they making Metroid into Mega Man? I mean, Mega Man and Metroid, if you take the two 2D games, you know, they're basically the, sort of the same game, but Mega Man is about, he, he works for other people, he has a purpose, he's got teammates, he's got a base, whereas Samus, you know, she's completely alone, she's doing this all for herself, it's a, it's a personal quest, and yeah, that's what separates them apart. I mean, when you think of Mega Man, you think of all his crew, his buddies, uh, X or whatever. But then you think of Metroid, and you just think of Samus. You don't think of anybody else. Trying to, you know, it, it detracts from the formula of, uh, of what makes Samus special. All right, September. Amnesia, The Dark Descent, Halo Reach, hmm. Civilization V, Dead Rising 2. Someone should say something about Amnesia. Yeah, Amnesia has to be one of the most powerful horror games I've played. Very well pulls off the whole Lovecraftian, unknowable terror. You know, I'm actually about to play that game. I'm about to write a, write a review of it, actually, so I'm really excited. I've heard what you've written about it, what I've heard about it. sounds great. Well, Kirk, you said earlier about like the unknowable or like the t- inner terror that was missed in Alan Wake. It seems like Amnesia is the place to go for that this year. Yeah, I get that feeling. Uh, and Amnesia crafts an experience. Well, it's funny, you know, that game at the very, I just started playing it at the very beginning. It says, this is not a game. Don't try to win this game. Just be in the world and have the experience. Cool. Go. And then they let you go. I I mean, this game is about surviving. It's not about winning, which from the get go, uh, like one of the, I played Dead Space as well this year and Dead Space didn't really scare me just because I had the tools to deal with my, or supposedly Isaac's. You don't in Amnesia. You do not have the tools. Someone said that, who was it? It might have been you, Dennis. Somebody said that the problem that Dead Space faced, or the thing that Amnesia did so well, was that it didn't try to simultaneously be a horror game and an empowerment fantasy. And and that was something that Dead Space missed for me as well. Um, I lost interest in that game. I actually haven't finished that game. And uh, it had these scary moments at the beginning... And the scariest moment of that game, though, is at the very beginning when you're running down the hall and you don't have a weapon yet. And this thing yep. busts out behind you and you feel so terrified and vulnerable. And, you know, all of the technical things they do so well, the graphics, the sound, it, it is designed to scare you and you don't have any way to fight back. So you're vulnerable. So it feels scary. I have a Where friend. the rest of the game, you're totally armed and whatever. I have a friend who disagrees, but only because he did Dead Space as a as a as a permadeath experience. Oh well, yeah. I mean, God, oh. yeah. <laughs> that would change things. <laughs> he had, and it was his first time playing it through. Oh, and, wow. and I feel oh, that. Wow. And, and he and he and he got it. He succeeded. What, did he? Did, do you know? Did he play really? it on wow. regular or on hard? I think it was on regular. Because on hard, it's a much scarier game and a much more fun game. But, but yeah, still, yeah. still has the same problem. Amnesia, without being a permanent death game, I think it gives you the illusion of that of that throughout the whole experience. Have you seen the YouTube video where the guy is playing it and he just freaks out when the monster comes? And <laughs> it isn't faked. It isn't staged. He is that yep. scared. It's a four-player podcast thing, right? I, I don't know what it was, but it's definitely... I want my computer to get to run this. This is one game I do want to play. Yeah, I, I think know. I'm about to buy it. it. Uh, yeah, what's well, on know, sale actually? <laughs> it's on sale on Steam right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, ten bucks. Uh, I think I'll I'll grab it and um, I'll play it. Maybe I'll even can talk about a review. <laughs> <doing it. laughs> yeah, cool man. I'll be playing it too. So let's talk about it. 
Excellent. Yeah, we should do that. And, you know, that's the thing about Dead Space is that it stops being a scary, because I love Dead Space. It's like one of my favorite games last year. To me, the early parts were amazing. You know, they were really scary and you were, you, you know, you, you were at, you were at the mercy of the game. You couldn't do anything besides, you know, run and maybe use your skills like the stasis and then you'd be like, oh shit, I'm out of ammo. Time to punch it to death. You know, it's like, holy shit, if I don't do that, I'm going to die. And... But, you know, by the time you get to, you know, you get all the upgrades, you've got, like, a shitload of health, it stops being scary. It becomes more like, well, you know, there's just monsters here. I'm just going to shoot them. And it stops being a scary game by the time you... Know, you I, not, to, since, not to belabor Dead Space, but somebody once said that Dead Space on regular is Aliens, and Dead Space on hard is Alien. That's good. That's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was good. So Makes sense. But, any any Halo fans here? Uh, I was a huge fan of Reach, and I'm not even a huge Halo fan. Any uh, thoughts on it? That it? Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I can say <laughs> one. Oh, no, I really liked it. Um, I liked the multiplayer. It kind of took me back to the original Halo, which was a game that I loved and, you know, uh, played the co-op with my friend till three in the morning in college. It just reminded me how much I enjoy how Bungie builds combat, how they build level design. The, you know, especially playing Black Ops right after it. I mean, Black Ops is so boring. I mean, it uses so many lazy tricks, you know, endless, endlessly respawning enemies and choke points and stuff, where yeah. every battle in Reach, especially played on not the hardest, but it was, I think it's heroic, the second to hardest difficulty. It's a challenge, and, every, and the battle plays out differently every time. I mean, you've got to be smart, and there's this huge battlefield with vehicles and all this really crazy stuff going on. And uh, I just really enjoyed the, the dynamics on the battlefield. It felt like it was alive and it was reacting you, to me. Would you say it's like Crisis? Uh, you know, I haven't played Crisis. That's uh, that's like uh, that's like the game that's that game that I need to build a PC to play. But um, yeah, well, I think it I think it might be Crisis had really good AI, didn't it? It had really good AI. I mean, yeah. it builds on uh, Far Cry One and. Uh, okay, how about this? I mean, since they have basically the same kind of gameplay, would you say it's like Far Cry 1's uh, dynamic battlefields? Well, you know, so I played Far Cry 2, and that actually was a game, I remember talking online somewhere about this, about how I was doing, I was much better at Halo Reach than I anticipated, because I played so much Far Cry 2. Actually, the AI in Reach is much better than in Far Cry 2. There's a lot of AI stuff in Far Cry 2 that's weird. But I remember yeah. having this new conceptualization of an open battlefield that I really valued. I was I, I was able to think about my tactics on a broader sense because of that game. So I, I do think that it um it, it mimicked that, but I haven't played. Uh, that's that's the thing about Bad Company Two, the single player experience is that it's got the tools to be you know just like Halo Reach and Far Cry and Far Cry Two and Crisis, but instead it it, it becomes like a cross between modern warfare and with you know the battlefield engine it's all choke points and you know endlessly respawning enemies and it, it just it falls apart the single player even though it's funny it's got humor in it it just falls apart as a game i mean multiplayer notwithstanding it's like the single player game is just not very good because it doesn't really build on that whole open experience that you kind of expect from a, a battlefield title and, and you know and bungie does i mean bungie builds the bungee, the multiplayer in Reach was super fun. Um, I played with David Carlton's group, and it was a it was a riot. It reminded me how fun Halo multiplayer really is. But the single player is really well made, and the the AI is great. And there's some balancing stuff, but it really, I mean, it's a, it holds together. And it's, I mean, you know, the story is just cliche on top of cliche on top of cliche. Just who can ridiculous. have the noblest death competition? Oh, exactly. And like, you know, <laughs> whose accent makes them stand out? But 
but you know the that's not what it's about it's about the gameplay and the gameplay is is great i love that game that was like i'm on my honorable mentions list which i was really surprised at i i you know it's really easy to to slag off on halo bros and whatever but halo is it's like it's like a colorful really deep world with fun gameplay i i'm i'm really i really liked it a lot what did you think of the jetpacks i mean I, I never used them. I, I could never really get them to where it just felt like I was jumping out of cover so everyone could kill me. I was much more interested. I was into the sprint. It was honestly like bringing the best feature of Call of Duty into Halo. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always just took the sprint back. Halo reaches a game that I want to play someday because you know the whole jetpack idea. It's kind of uh, it borrows from Tribes, the original game. And Tribes of Jetpacks is huge in that. It's like the only FPS with Jetpacks. So yeah, I'm curious to see how it pulls up compared to... I would think that in a multiplayer board where they had a lot of verticality and everyone had Jetpacks, that it'd be a riot. But when you're the only guy with a Jetpack and everybody else has something else, like it just feels like you're painting a target on yourself. Ah, uh, so it's not really balanced for that, is it? I mean, they well, have to... Well, there's some... F- you know, I haven't... You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some Halo expert who could really tell you I haven't done enough, but... It, I mean, it, there are some balancing issues, but it's cool, but it didn't, it's not something I'm good enough at, the oh. jetpack, to, like, really speak to. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Anything on the other two games, or we move on? Well, you know, there's one game that came out that you didn't mention, but what? Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light was one of my favorite oh. games of the year. Oh, yeah, it came out the same month, didn't it? I think it came out in August, actually, or early September, maybe. Oh, might have missed. Well, it had staggered faces. Yeah, well, yeah. Then, like, yeah. the PSN and then the co-op. Man, I mean, that well. game... That was almost my favorite game of the year. Uh, that, like, I loved that game, and I couldn't believe it. Like, I couldn't the believe co-op's it. Co-op's great, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I like. Man, I played like the the all, the whole single player game too. I just I dug it. I mean, it was I, something about they took everything that was kind of objectionable about Lara Croft that had just become so boring and and gross and shoveled and, it off, and they just got rid of it, and it was just they re, they redesigned it as this completely different game, and then it worked great. Like it was the puzzles <laughs> were cool, and it was fast, and it had this rhythm to it, and and then yeah, I, man, I started playing the co-op, and the co-op is brilliant. I mean, it the most fun I've ever had playing a co-op game because you don't, it isn't even like you're you're constantly, you know, it's not these contrived things where oh, help me over this wall. It's like you get into a room with the guy in the room with you. You know, you come into a new room. And you just look at it. And then you spend this time looking at the room, trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? And you're both just silently thinking. And then someone will be like, I know, let's try this. And then you try something and then it doesn't quite work. But you're like, wait, but what if we do this? And you're like problem solving together. I, I thought it was a brilliant game. I, I, I didn't have the money when it came out, but yeah, it's, it's one game I'll be getting. Playing. I will like, be absolutely getting it. Worth playing. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, October. Oh boy. Enslave, Odyssey to the West, Castlevania, Lord of Shadows, Medal of Honor, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Fallout New Vegas, Super Meat Boy, Fable 3. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot. October's always the biggest month. It always is, yeah. and you think that you know, developers release games in a staggered fashion? Like they did this <laughs> year. You know how long? <laughs> and they still overpacked October. Where to begin? Let's talk Medal of Honor, because it's easy to get out of the way. Did any of you play it? No. Nope. No, but I'm still disappointed in EA for backing down. Oh yeah, that's okay. Let's get on to that first. I'm disappointed that they, you know, they renamed the U.S. Army to Coalition. Well, I guess that's correct, but Taliban's got uh, renamed to opposing uh, force. Opposing force, yeah. The and thing it's is, still got banned. <laughs> the thing is, the someone actually came up with a meaningful type of multiplayer where it was staggered, that there would be more of the Taliban, except 
they'd get bonuses when they were going rogue and that the military and the US military would be smaller but they'd be get bonuses when they worked together and it would be more meaningful as a as multiplayer as a reflection of how it actually is but nobody ever did that i mean the uh. the gameplay is sadly you know just captured the flag which is not very well done and then there's uh you know deathmatch and the coolest mode i think it's the uh, assault or onslaught or whatever it is it's kind of like based on the battlefield bad company 2 mode where you basically take objectives then move on to the next point and do the same thing but problem of medal of honor is that it's lacking in content i mean that that is probably the biggest draw to the game for me at least personally but there's so few maps. I mean, there's like four of those maps. One is uh, an airfield, another is Desert Pass. It feels like a very rushed game. It's like they're trying to compete with Call of Duty instead of emphasizing on the strengths that it has, which is the whole idea. Like you said, I mean, if, if you had the U.S. Army fighting against the Taliban, which are vastly outnumbering them, it would actually be a good game. Everything about it just falls short. The vibe I got off of it was that it was just an entirely unserious proposition from the beginning. I mean, I, I never took that game seriously. I, I, I mean, I didn't play it, but I, I read all this mm-hmm. press about it and the controversy about it, and nothing I saw from the very beginning showed me anything. You know, I mean, Six Days of Fallujah was a game that at least seemed like it was going to try to capture some ambiguity. But That's one of I my just, biggest disappointments. You know, I just never got the sense that, that Medal of Honor was in any way serious about what they were trying to do. And so, you know, the fact that they took the Taliban out, I mean, yeah, like yeah. as a, as a, as a like symbolically, like it was a problem. But in that game, who really cares? It was never yeah. going to be something compelling. I mean, yeah. Modern Warfare, the original Modern Warfare, had much more compelling stuff in it. Uh, Definitely. Than, than anything I, I saw in Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor. Yeah, and like in Medal of Honor, the, the campaign is about three hours long, too, if you play really fast. And, and just that uh, same hoorah, you know, Americans, don't leave a man behind, whatever. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, a basic, that's a whole theme of it, basically. I mean, you've got, you've got the Black Ops people, they go in, they do a mission. This is like a prelude to the invasion of Afghanistan. And so they go in, they do their thing, and then one of them gets captured, and then it switches the viewpoints to the Marines, and that becomes like a whole, you know, hoorah thing. And the, the part that they did do really well was they showed uh, the Marines dying. Like, they get bombarded by, you know, the Taliban, but then they don't they don't go all the way with it. It's like, in the end, they come up top. You know, they, they manage to overcome, and then they, they defeat the Taliban. And, so then why are uh, we still there? Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, they win the war in the game. That's nice. <laughs> the, a dude dies, though. They, they they pull out. You know, they after destroying all the Taliban strongholds, they pull out. But then a dude dies. The main character, he dies. And, oh wow! Yeah, that's uh, such a bold. That's such a bold statement about the. <laughs> yeah, so bold that they did it twice in Modern Warfare One. Yeah, yeah right. Everybody else lives though, so it's kind of meaningless. I mean, he's not the only character that you play. You play all the other characters too yeah. that are sitting in the helicopter with him. Even though he dies, it's like, eh, so what? You know, it's like. Three hours long and it doesn't really last very long, so kind of sucks. Yeah, was, I mean, yeah, not interested really in playing it. Yeah, it's 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 it falls short in every single way. All right, anything else from the month? Actually, I got something yeah. to say on Enslaved. Enslaved, I actually don't even know how how to put it because Enslaved seems like a, a missed opportunity. It had it had great characterization. It had a great ideas. And then it just, it was, it seems sloppy to me. The gameplay, mm-hmm. and so I've only played the demo, but the gameplay felt sloppy. It felt loose. Loose in what way? Uh, the platforming. It, or it felt like, it just felt, it felt both overly, it felt like everything was really mapped out for me, like it was impossible to fail. But it also didn't oh. have the, like, the sort of satisfying and the quality that a lot of platformers do. Because, you know, like Uncharted has that same thing where 
Yeah. You play that game and, and like, feel. yeah, and yeah. like, and it feels right. And there was, and the combat too, like it, there was just, it didn't have like a, a hit to it that I, that I wanted, but yeah. I, I really actually really want to play that game. Um, I know that it's, they did great things and it's <laughs> got, uh, it's got Golem in it. And it's got, uh, <laughs> apparently also it's got good story based DLC attached to it. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard that Piggy's thing, that DLC, I heard that was good. The characters honestly were the best part of it, but yeah, no, I'll definitely check it out. It's really cheap at this point. So. I think uh, before we go into Fallout, yeah. I'd like to say that uh, <laughs> the climbing in Uncharted, the reason it feels like you could fall is because of the animations. Like he's clumsy. Yeah, I know it's true. And the, yeah. actually, the, the vocalizations in that game, the fact that he's constantly like ah ah ah, you know, and it, 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 it <laughs> gets a little it's, old, but it also feels like he's really freaked out the whole time. You yeah, get yeah. the feel of it, if not the actuality. Right. And, and sometimes he does really fall, and then you know Elena or someone will come and rescue him and pull him up, right? And it's like, right. oh shit, he could actually he could actually die there. And if you and if you make a mistake, he does, and you splatter right. down on the rocks below. And you hear them yeah. cry out, Drake, Nate. <laughs> yeah, very similar to Snake. That's a good point. You just don't get that in a lot of other platformers. It's like if you fall, you feel like eh, I'm big and it's like the guy's a pro. And if you, if you fall, you know, and here's the thing about these other games. It's like in Assassin's Creed, if you fall. It's your fault. It's not his fault for falling. You know, it's like it's you didn't fall. Right. You fell because you're a shitty player. Although <laughs> in Assassin's Creed, sometimes it feels like it's the designer's fault for like making the. I get a yeah, little. Yeah, the Also, the free running can get yeah, a little. Yeah, okay. can feel. But it's yeah. never it's never Ezio's fault. Yeah, it's never Ezio's fault. It's just how you misremember the game. And that's that's a cool thing about Uncharted. It's a if he falls, it's his fault. It's got this sense of immersion. You're you're actually Nathan Drake. It's. You're not separated from him, and so it's a thing that most games just don't have, and that's why Uncharted is so well done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Fallout New Vegas, hey. buggiest game of the year. Oh, and you know, <laughs> New Vegas is a game. I read some interesting stuff about like Kaiser's Legion, but really, there's mm-hmm. nothing. I have nothing to say about that game. Yeah. I, sure. I mean, I, and I played it a lot too. <laughs> that's probably for the best. It's probably for yeah, the best. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was all right, but I think. I think. Game, uh, more than anything, the Gamebryo engine is just over. It's just got to go. It's old. And it, and it yeah. is going. I think, I think that uh, it's Fallout 3 done right. Because Fallout 3, was uh, it didn't have the ambiguity of the first two games. If you played the first two, you know what I'm talking about. It, mm-hmm. Fallout uh, New Vegas was basically a, a culmination of all the things that should have been Fallout 3. I like to pretend that Fallout 3 didn't exist and that Fallout New Vegas is actually a <laughs> sequel. And I, I know, actually, I totally feel you on that. I think that if it had come out when Fallout 3 did, it I mean, because yeah. you're right, like the factions thing, the fact that you're just this gun for hire, you know, it's not like, like in Fallout yeah. 3, it felt weird to just wander the wasteland and do quests mm-hmm. while like the fate of the world was like on your shoulders. Yeah, but it still, makes sense. I mean, every, every game has that problem. Well, yeah. but you know, actually New Vegas kind of doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't, like, yeah. I'm held by it. Which is cool, they sidestepped it, but it's just too bad that it came out when it did. I mean, it just can't, I just can't invest 80 hours in a game that feels like it feels to play. I guess we can move on because we got to finish this soon. Remember Call of Duty, Black Ops, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Gran Turismo 5, Epic Mickey, and just to finish it off, December is Cataclysm and Bejeweled 3. Okay. Man, you know, we've covered a lot of those, I think. The, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I we do. talked about Call of Duty. And, and Assassin's Creed. The, you know, I and I didn't get a chance to play Epic Mickey, but that was an interesting game. I mean, it was interesting to see Warren Spector come out yeah. and say that you're playing it wrong thing. That bummed me out. <laughs> that sucks. I mean, it, and, it's like yeah. the worst thing to say. And also Gran Turismo 5 just seems like a lackluster release after all this time. Yeah, at all this time. Yeah. Like, God, I don't know if there's been any more hype game I've ever... I mean, people have been talking about hype. that game for what feels like five years, even though it, maybe it yeah. really hasn't been that long. I, 
it seems to me that just in an overall look at the year, especially with our discussion, that the theme with every single game of this is good, maybe great, but definitely flawed. Yep. And yeah, you know, and honestly, it, we skipped Super Meat Boy, but I think uh, having played that game, that game comes as close, from everything I've read about it and everything I've played, that game comes as close to perfect in a lot of ways. I think there are a lot of people who would tell you that that was the only perfect game that came out this year. And I, I get where they're coming from when I play it. And I, I just yeah. wonder if that's just a meaning because, like I said at the very at the beginning of going through each of these, was that nothing seems to stand out. I was talking with you, Ian, that yep. no release seems to You know what, I mean, I would, I would argue that Bayonetta stands out. But I, I, no, I think, like, maybe Bayonetta, maybe Redemption, but... Yeah, nothing, Redemption stands but out. But eventually, and maybe Mass Effect, but everything else is just yep. it's eventually going to fade as a footnote, and it isn't... There's no Portal, there's no Bioshock, there's no Modern Warfare 1... There, there's no Dragon Age Origin that's going to continue. Yeah, you're saying that games. now. I mean, it's hard to tell what games would stand well, e- the well, even That's true. I mean, looking at Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, nobody was talking about the game as much back then as they are now. So it's hard to say in retrospective what might have captured somebody's imagination. Well, right. And, that's, and actually, yeah. you know, to get meta on it for a minute, that's part of the value, I think, of chronicling all of this stuff is that you can just look back at what people were saying about whatever game it winds up being that people are still talking about in a few years and see what we were saying about it now. I mean, yeah, you know, there were a lot of sequels this year and sequels as a general rule are derivatives. So there might not be as much to say about them, but there will be some games that will surprise us. I think there already have been. All right. Maybe I'm just being a little short sighted, but that's just my impression of it, of just looking back on it all. I think that, you know, Mass Effect 2 would be one of those uh, milestone games because it took the RPG genre from role playing R-O-L-L, you know, to role-playing, R-L-E. Aha, <laughs> oh, that's funny. I've never heard that before. <laughs> role-playing, I like it. So, you know, it married the two genres. You know, it says that an RPG doesn't have to be about stats. And I think we might reflect upon that in a few years. I'm actually happy for that. I'm, I'd rather tell a story in a computer than then just roll more dice. I can do that on the table. I yeah, hear you. Exactly. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Dennis. Kept you here far too long. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been fun. We'll break it up. It's cool, man. It's no, good. I had a blast. This was really fun, guys. Maybe next... Do this more often. Oh, I intend to as soon as I learn how to audio edit correctly. But now just to pimp out everyone, Ben Abraham, you can find him at IamBenAbraham.net, also the editor and frequent contributor of This Week in Video Game Vlogging at Critical Distance. Ian, you can find him still gray on Twitter and also a contributor of Critical Distance. Kirk Hamilton, personal site KirkHamilton.com, also one of the main people at Gamer Melodico. And Dennis Farr, by far, has, has the longest resume here at his blog, PurpleBunnyRanch.wordpress.com, also the Borderhouse blog, and writes for GayGamer.net. I'm Eric Swin. You can find me at The Game Critique. Thanks, everybody. It's been a blast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
As much yeah. as you say RSS reader, I love that Ben said RSS readers are dead. See, I get They're my evil. stuff. Horrible. No, but you, you just yeah, you're just scared of your RSS reader. No, Kirk, <laughs> this is what happened. This is what happened. We had this conversation, but you have to do this week in video game blogging. How do you get all the posts? I get them from Twitter. No, you get them from me. Yeah. I get them. <laughs> yeah. You are the Twitter champ. The and then I, I no, but email. I told them no. You get them from me, and then I get them from an RSS reader. So, so all I've done is outsourced my RSS reader? Yes, Ben. Yes, you have. You're the, yeah, you're the middle. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, looking back at the beginning of the year, it's pretty wild. This should be fun to talk about. I mean, it was. It seems like so long ago. <laughs> well, no, the beginning of the year, it's like, here's something else on Dragon Age. Here's something else on Modern yeah, Warfare. It's I just mean, like, it makes sense. And then for the few months. But the thing is, the Dragon Age post, the, like the Modern Warfare post, they never went away. Mm. Well, Dragon Age, man. I like, mean, that's all a game. Through two, the 2009, there were several 2009 games and even a few 2008s that were still getting posts that's great though man that means there's a lot to say right well i don't know if that's a lot to say or the critical community has actually stepped up because you can't exactly say there was in 2002 or three can, can you hear us at all dennis yeah i can hear you fine oh, okay oh, yeah, oh okay i can kind of hear you well i i can i can really hear him it's just like a weird effect what effect echo like you're talking to us from the bottom of a deep metal reservoir yeah, basically. <laughs> Better get closer to my mic and see if that does anything. Okay, now it really sounds like you're the bad guy from Tron. <laughs> the bad guy? He was just a computer, man. He was just he was just doing what he was programmed to do. <laughs> yeah, Dennis, say end of line. End of line? <laughs> well, you can't say it like a question. You have to say end of line. <laughs> end of line. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not perfect, but it sounds okay. Now go. <laughs> I don't think I'll be telling anybody I'm their father anytime soon. <laughs> no! <laughs> Kirk, I'm the one who's going to be editing this. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Out by February if we do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting good at making the people who do podcasts with me have to do a whole lot of editing. And we just have to tell Ben to stop the recording. Right, we can just patch him in being like, this was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun. I thought that Kirk was right about everything. <laughs> yeah, but how do you tell him to hit stop on the recording? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. He's going to get back and his hard drive is going to be full. <laughs> oh, yeah, hopefully you got it. But yeah, you should definitely break it up. I would, I would suggest breaking it into two parts. And I know, sure. Dennis, you should go to bed at this point. <laughs> We didn't talk about Fable 3, did we? No, but... It, that might be the best. <laughs> Fable 3 pretty much runs under my Fallout New Vegas. It has a core, but it's just so missing some things. It's on yeah. I think there's a reason we didn't talk about it, is because at that point, even I wanted to make it to the break end. Yeah. It's, Cataclysm is just more... Wow. Honestly, I did. The thing is, is like I figure, okay, we can quickly discuss each game and game, and then Bayonetta took ten minutes, <laughs> and then Mass Effect Two took fifteen minutes. I didn't realize. Maybe yeah. if I like showed you my very weak outline, you might have. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, we have to keep going. We have to keep. We have to keep pushing forward. Um, I said um. <laughs> There's various tropes that you put <laughs> you in didn't there. Start with, you didn't start with them. Yeah, them, you're so right. <laughs> and you're not writing it. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be horrible to appear in writing, and some people actually do that. Oh, I, I know. don't know why. <laughs> yeah.
It's like they, they try to... Anyway, whatever. 25 um, slots. Indie gaming bingo. Indie gaming bingo. Indie gaming bingo, yes. Uh, I, I, oh, wow. I actually started that sentence. But, uh, so. <laughs> Ooh, you get mocked down for that one. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to get banned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not coming back. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know that's a question. Yeah, oh, no, I need to um, No, that would have been bad. Um, <laughs> no, no, you guys, it's just written. It's only in a written comment that you can't start with. Um, you can say um as much as you want. We can edit those out. Remember, this is audio. We can edit them out. That's true. Can. That's true. Um, wow. Yeah, I started it off with, with an um. Yeah. We can edit it out. This is becoming a running theme, isn't it? Gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up, you guys. I'm so, I didn't mean to make everyone self conscious. <laughs> We're all very self conscious now. You're going to make my week hell trying to edit this. I think there's actually like a Pro Tools plugin that can detect ums. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> just say it. Tell us what you really think. You, you, you may. have to ask, man. Go. You may just say, say it. Just don't say um first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on. Um. Uh, um. Uh, um. 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 Uh, 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 okay, I'm, I'm really close here. 